This is Coda Radio, episode 228 for October 24th, 2016. Welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. But me? Well, thanks for asking. My name is Chris, and joining me every single week is our host, still smarting from his breakup with Mr. Ken Bone. It's Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello, Mike! Yakshimash, friends! Welcome to this very special Polish edition and gay edition of Code Radio. You got me down the rabbit hole with this Ken Bone stuff. I didn't even... I mean, oh. I knew there was... I knew yeah, there was controversy. Ken. But you... you Holy mackerel, controversy. That's a, that's a very... Uh, <laughs> oh, boy. I didn't know. I didn't know. And then I read your Twitter feed, and then I... And then my my dreams and my hopes of you know, the common it, man. It's that, it's that part of Reddit where I'm like, am I really not on 4chan? Like, <laughs> like yeah. I, I avoid 4chan like the plague. But I think Mr. Bone had some free time on his hands. And I think Mr. Bone, uh, oh, perhaps a bone. Hey, oh, come on now. Come Hello, on. everybody. Come on now. So well, a fam- This is not a family show today. We are gathered here today to make Chris cry because uh, Mike's made a big new purchase, got himself a new rig. We'll be talking about That's that. That's right. A young, a young buck named Alfonso. And we also have ourselves a little bit of uh, pulling back the curtain to discuss. After that, someone out there is making a transition that I think Mike may endorse or may scoff at. And then last but not least, I really liked an article about how to properly design an API. And it's just nice, straightforward language. And we'll talk about that, plus a bunch of other random things we're going to throw into this here episode. Not bad, huh? Not bad for 228 of these things. 228. You and I have been together, I did the math, longer than every marriage in the state of New Jersey. Yeah, I think that's true. I think uh, it's, it's not that impressive if you only count our governors, though, because uh, we have a bad history of uh, closeted gay governors. Oh, is that a thing? Is that Which, a thing? Chris, I, wa- I wanted to talk to you about uh, Colonel Linux staying over your house, by the way. Um, I don't think he's ever mm. stayed at my house. I don't think he's ever stayed mm. at my house. I-, I might be confusing him with somebody else. He does. He does stay at the studio from time to time. He does stay at the studio. Uh, actually, he did stay at the uh, rig with me once when we were going somewhere in the – oh, to pick up ham radio. That's right. So he has, it has happened. He has slept in my place. That's true. That is true. But you're trying, to, you're, trying, you're trying to distract from the big news. I mean this is like, this is like top voted story in the subreddit news. This is like t- retweet a dozen times kind of news. This is favorite it with whatever that heart is. Big news. Like some some people, if they're more connoisseurs of news, may even say it's breaking news. This is CNN breaking news. Oh, so you got you got yourself uh, you got yourself one of them uh, lemurs over there at the uh, System Seventy Six. One of these one of these thirteen inches, right? Let me tell you what happened. Yeah, tell me tell me all about it because uh, last time I checked, uh, you were building iOS apps and uh, you were building Android yeah. apps and uh, you were building iOS apps. Oh, and uh, iOS apps, which uh, last time I checked, Xcode don't work on Linux. Have you gone crazy? I'm, so- I'm sorry. What kind of apps were I building? <laughs> <laughs> so I was I was uh, at a draft Magic the Gathering party at my house. I, is this for real? Is this are you pulling my leg? No, this is for real. 
Okay. And uh, I got stuck on baby duty by the missus because, you know, there were other strapping young gentlemen there. And, you know, girls got a party, right? Word. So, get, in other words, she got to get the hell out of there. Yeah, exactly. Well, no, she was there. She was drafting. Oh, she's a hardcore planeswalker. Oh, she had work to do. She had work to do. She's like Liliana. So I'm uh, – Mama's got to hustle. I'm sitting there holding the baby, watching My Little Pony. I shit you not. Now, the a new one or the old one? Because the new one's the – new, The new one's awesome, dude. I We could have a whole episode on how awesome My Little Pony is. How about Pony that, is. Applejacks, right? Don't no, forget Applejack. It's all about uh, Princess Luna, or, or oh. as you might know her, Nightmare Moon. Mm. Oh, I, I, in fact, I was listening to a song of hers on YouTube today. We, can we play it in the show without getting DMCA'd? Probably not. Probably not. Okay. No, I actually got a takedown from my own voice a couple of weeks ago, so I don't think so. Yes! Yes! <laughs> it's like the inception of DMCA takedown. The worst part is it's not even the first time. It's not even the first. It's the worst. <laughs> okay, so you find yourself there. You are with Kid. Magic the Gathering's happening. Magic the Gathering's happening between sneaking videos of Tiffany Alvert, who's a great singer, and the kid wanting to watch My Little Pony. I got a bit lonely. You know how I get, Chris. I send uh, strapping young men such as yourself messages when I'm lonely. (laughs) 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 No response? Okay. Uh, And I happen to have the the wonderful, the beautiful, the handsome, dare I say devilishly handsome, Ryan Snipes on Telegram. Yes, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, Ryan. And Ryan's been on the show before. He has. um, And I sent him a message saying, hey, Ryan, I'm a bit lonely. What you doing? What you wearing? <laughs> I don't think this is how this went down. Something's telling me this isn't reading right. <laughs> you don't think this is how this happened? I don't for some reason. Especially because that almost sounds like more work than just going to their website. <laughs> no, I, I really did telegram him, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, I'm bored. I'm thinking of buying a laptop. I know Macs come out in a week and a half, but that seems too mainstream. What do you got? It is kind and of funny said, that you chose to do this right as the new MacBooks. So like, now we actually even have an announcement day. Well, you know what? This is where it's at for the clickbait. That's all I'm going to say. Like right now is the right time. You're right. Hold on. I got to do I got to just do a quick check. I'm going to go over. I got to find the Mac Rumors website. Hold on. Let me go into my Mac News here. I'm going to go to the Mac Rumors. I'm going to pull this up. In two days, 21 hours and 46 minutes as we record this, new MacBooks will be announced. You renegade. I'm a freaking rebel, baby. Is it really, though? Is it is it is it really about is it really about them finally updating the MacBooks or is it something bigger, though? I mean, what is this? Why, why, why now? So first of all, uh, you know, Ryan, I had never considered the lemur, uh, which is the one I ended up ordering. Yeah. I've always kind of looked at the gazelle. Yeah. The Oryx is a little too big for me. Um, I've been sort of dilly-dallying with this. And I ended up, you know, Ryan says, take a look at the lemur. So I take a look at the lemur. With my budget, which was only like $1,600, you can pimp this baby out. I mean, SSDs, 512, 16 gigs of RAM. I'm sorry, some Mac users making eyes at me right now. It's very awkward. Um, you would not well, get a you would not get a MacBook that is probably as no. equipped as you would like for that price. I, for that price, when right. I've configured MacBooks for production here at JB, which we haven't bought any for a long time, but they were probably twenty six, twenty eight hundred dollars, you know, for tax. Yeah, and this is with, you know, I'm impatient two-day shipping, which is why it's coming today. Good man. So, you know, I have not yet gotten my little pause on it, which is slightly disappointing. I was hoping it would come before the show. You know, I've heard a couple things about it. Um, 
Oh, it's got the cabbie leg too, which is also a good Yeah, it's thing. got the seventh gen Intel processor. And you can actually cram two freaking hard drives into this 13 inch laptop, which I find Indeed. to be. And I, now, I don't know if you can do it aftermarket. Oh, yeah, you I can. I did not. Yeah, you can. Yeah. So that's even that's yeah. even better. So typically, although I've never I've never touched this new one because this was just recently updated. Typically, they are much more user serviceable than than a, than a MacBook. Well, the Macs are basically not user serviceable, right? I mean, yeah. I so this is where I wanted to kind of go towards is there's a couple of things. There's two things that I used to really like about computers is I liked being able to buy them strategically when it worked for me. And I liked being able to give them additional capabilities a year down the road. So say maybe you decide at some point, I'm going to run Windows or and Linux or two different versions of Linux on this. It's nice to be able to add a second storage drive down the road when yeah. you'd like or upgrade at this. I can't even believe I have to say this, but it's actually a nice feature to be able to upgrade your own RAM. This thing can go up to 32 gigs of RAM. But you could start with what did you start with? Uh, 16. Yeah, so you can start at 16, and then when Black Friday rolls around and there's a great deal at Newegg on RAM, you could throw 32 into this thing, and it's just a matter of taking off the bottom of the laptop. It's not a you don't have to. It's not a huge deal. Um, it, yeah, it might not. It might not have the same build. I don't know as a as a MacBook Pro. I would I would bet that would probably be hard to do in something that's so, actually serviceable. Yeah. But so there there's a few things uh, that people have been saying on Twitter that I'm a little concerned about. Right, the trackpad, battery life. And just a general build quality. Yeah. Now I have to say, like a MacBook doesn't do super well if you drop it anyway. No, they so dent. Yeah, they do dent. Yeah. Very easily. In terms of general build quality, I don't know if that's a real thing I need to worry about. Um, I carry a mouse with me like a sick weirdo. Okay. Like a, like a Ken yeah. Bone kind of guy. If you carry, if yeah, if you go Ken Bone yeah. on your mouse, and you always, I have, I have, I, I bring these little Logitech MX Anywhere mice with me. I always have one in my laptop bag. They're just, they're great full time mice, and they're also yeah. great portable mice. I, yeah. I do believe that. I don't believe any company has ever made a trackpad quite like Apple has. Uh, because it's not just the way it feels, which is better than any trackpad. Well, but it's also hardware the, software integration there. Yep, that, it's the, it's the yeah. software OS level stuff that only really OS X and Apple are going to be able to pull off. At the same time, I find all trackpads these days to be serviceable on any modern laptop that's like fifth generation Intel or later. I find them all to be serviceable and usable, and I can work on them if I have to, but I still prefer to have my own separate standalone mouse. And you can actually, if you want to go crazy... You can pair the Magic Trackpad or whatever Apple calls it, the the standalone yeah, trackpad. That, you can that, pair that's it. That's ridiculous. I just plug it in my Naga mouse and I'm yeah, good to go. Yeah, there you go. But I've actually tried it just an experiment, and you can use it on Linux. So I don't know. I mean, I you know, at home, my full time machine is a Raytel uh, Pro, right? It's the System seventy six Tower. So it's not like this is the first Linux machine by any stretch of the imagination. Um, this is the first built for Linux laptop. And that that's, you know, that's where I've had pain before, right? Uh, trying to slam Linux on laptops like the most recent Dell XPS that my wife commandeered, where the graphics card uh, did not cooperate with Linux. Yeah, you got bit by an early Skylake issue. Yeah, I got bit by a Skylake issue. I've gotten bit by other Dell laptops that were not made for Linux that 
had all kinds of weird like visual or audio yeah. issues. That you you got you got a batch of timing and hardware that I think is unprecedented in modern Linux history because well, technically like, Intel yeah. support is so nailed down in Linux, but they just really it fumbled awful. it. With, yeah. Well, and, and to be fair though, right? Skylake sucked for the Microsoft guys. I mean, go listen to Paul Thrott. He'll tell you how much. The, yeah, and uh, there's like there's likely yeah. a reason why we never saw a Skylake MacBook Pro ship either. I think that was actually wise on Apple's part. They were just avoiding garbage, right? Um, one other thing I would add is, so my, because everything in life is about expectations, I'm, I'm starting to find. When the FedEx man in his short little purple shorts comes in, hey, Chris, uh, I gave him your number, by the way. <laughs> oh, good. Good. I'm expecting to open this, plug it in, turn it on, and have it work. So much so that I bought a Dell monitor. Uh, let me see if I can bring it up. It's the one of the two, it's the cinema display equivalents. Oh, really? Yeah, so I, I'm going full Linux because I, I use a cinema display at work, so obviously that would not, um, you know, work, right? My workstation is very What is, you know, here's your, what you're going to have to look into is what you, might, what you might find disappointing is HDMI only supports so high of a resolution and refresh rate. This could be an yeah, issue for you. This could be an issue. I, I am slightly concerned about that. You might actually, you may find more success adapting the VGA port because VGA is surprisingly able to go up to extremely high resolution. So you may be able to use the VGA port with an adapter. I heard that, but I heard the VGA refresh rates were kind of garbage. Or oh, something. that could be. And I would imagine, but I've never yeah. tried it. Uh, so a- anyway, right, I'm looking at the Dell Ultra Sharp. This is what I ordered. I just pasted it in the chat. The uh, U2715H Dell. You need better names for your product lines. I just want to. Throw that out for you, boys. Oh, that's a pretty monitor. Yeah, that is a pretty monitor. It is the exact equivalent of the cinema display I have, but of course, half the price because it's not made by Apple. I bet you could uh, put a link to this in the System76 support page and ask them what your chances are going to be, and they could give you an answer before you even take it out of the box. True. They True. may not have tested it, but they might have an idea of what the maximum resolution that that because there is something because I have run into the problem of Intel graphics and HDMI out and limitations because I have a 2K monitor upstairs, also 27 inch, and I, yeah. I believe it knocks it down to a lower resolution. I'm hoping it can pull off the uh, the 256 or whatever it is. I forgot what it is. 260. Yeah, yeah that's a great resolution. So yeah. you okay? Here's what I'm trying to get to. So you you got yourself a nice setup, but what I'm trying to what I'm trying to scratch at under the surface is it was what was it that decided you to move off of the MacBook for your next laptop? Because um, I'm not I'm not clear if it's maybe Apple's weird stance on their update frequency. I'm not clear if it's because Linux has become a superior platform for certain types of work. What had what was sort of the deciding factor, or is it just simply that you could buy two of these a year for one MacBook? Well, you know, that does help, right? I mean, I could literally get bored with this in six months, buy a gazelle and be fine. Yeah, or, or you could, XPS 13. I mean, you, I would not advise this, but you could literally almost afford to buy every other iteration they do of this product and still be ahead. And the other nice thing right. about these System76 products is they seem to have, all, they have been updating for this year, I've been watching this particularly to compare it against Apple, and they are they are basically iterating after every major Intel generation, after they've had some R&D time internally to make sure it works. And they're really staying on top of this stuff. And right now, the Oryx Pro is like an unbelievably powerful machine that a lot of people in our audience are picking up. So there's a few things here, right? One, I wrote a post about this briefly on DominicM.com entitled, Buy MacBook, Hello Lemur. One of the primary drivers of this is that you know, I definitely feel like I want to skate to where the puck is going, to use the old expression. 
Uh, and granted, given my 50% or 100% failure rate, as discussed on last episode, I could be wrong. Yeah, you say here, I'm making a bet that the puck is going towards yeah. Linux-powered AI, which makes – and then I noticed that somebody – who was it in the subreddit? Uh, yeah. Werner in the subreddit said, ah, so that means we should bet against Linux-powered AI. Got it. But you make a good point because I think what, what you're really getting, if you can transition your workload over to Linux, is you're getting a universal platform that isn't necessarily even tied to System76. Well, it's, it's even less than that. I'm getting a platform that more matches where the actual functionality and actual complexity right. of the software that I'm developing but is. But I think right? that independence is what's going to make it a standout platform for AI and bot development. Yeah, yeah I think so. I mean, one of, one of my largest clients right now is an iOS app with a Linux backend. And the iOS app is basically a pseudo-pretty front-end to a really complicated Rails app on a Linux server, right? The actual challenge of that project has nothing to do with the iOS app, right? The the biggest pain in the ass is, oh my god, auto layout constraints suck. Yeah. Where there's a whole, there's payment processing, there's all kinds of stuff going on on the Linux side that, frankly, are more interesting. I will and, say this too. I think you know sometimes in the past uh, when you were kind of hoping when you're, and betting on RT or Android Wear. Um, I, I, I kind of listen like, okay, you make a compelling case, and I think in both cases you released compelling products. I'm like, oh, all right, that does make sense for that platform. Uh, but I never really felt like that was the direction the puck was actually going, and I thought, boy, if he's right, he's going to have a hit. But I don't, it doesn't feel like it's the right direction. This seems like an obvious direction because of, because of Linux's presence on the cloud and the very back-end nature and compute requirements well, of right. AI and bots. This seems well, like I'm, a... And let's be, you know, bigger picture here, other than little tiny-ass Buccaneer tech in a crappy two-room office in Eatontown, right? Let's think about, you know, Google and Apple and Microsoft and where – what are the headline-grabbing things other than, ooh, new shiny hardware that we can send to Walt Mossberg? Well, it's AI. It's Google Home. It's Google AI. It's um, Cortana, which Microsoft, you know, is – kind of repurposing for the Microsoft bot framework, which I have to say, we haven't covered much since I initially brought it up, but is super interesting. Um, Maybe a future some of episode. These, right. It's some of these open source bot tools. Uh, there's one in Golang that in particular I think is really good. Uh, it's Mycroft, though I do have to say, I don't know how Mycroft is going to end up stacking up to MS bot framework or, you know, let me tell you what it's not though, right? It's not Siri. Uh, it's not, you know, I hate to say this, but in a lot of ways, the front-end design stuff of iOS apps, I feel like, is very aggressively becoming commoditized. Yeah. Which is not a place I want to live in because I have a wife and a kid. Yeah, but I don't feel like you can make much stronger of an argument on any other mobile platform either. Well, I think it's about staying current, right? We, We talked about this on like episode 10 or something. Where, you know, the cycle is roughly five years, and this has been far more than five years that I've been relatively loyal to the iOS Android ecosystem. And it, we're getting to the point where, yeah. you know, everybody that should have an app yeah. is either having one or yeah. they know how to develop one for and, not that much And money. also, the other side, the market sort of decided where they value apps from both the user purchasing perspective and the people looking to have these created. And I don't think it's where you want it to be. Well, I, I think it's, you know, l- l- right, let's be brutal. It's really, really tough to compete with, you know, Upwork, although there's an article about that in the subreddit. Yeah. Right, which, but, you know, $100 an hour versus $10 an hour. That's <laughs> a, a hell of a competition, right? I don't know. 
And it's not what I want to do, to be honest, anymore. I mean, I don't mind building iOS apps. I don't mind building Android apps. I do it all the time. But I definitely think that they've become mature enough that, you know, it is a service I offer. It is my mm-hmm. primary service. Mm-hmm. But that is probably not the 10 years out future. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing, think about it. In some sense, Linux is becoming such a dominant platform and really, I mean, Ubuntu in such yeah, a big way is, is the biggest platform. Yeah. I mean, this this is a little scary. There is a side story here about kind of an Ubuntu sort of hegemony. I agree, but if you look at yeah. it from the if you look at it from the advantage that that market presence gives you as a developer to target it, you're not you don't have to worry about is this going to go is this going to sell better or do better in the iOS app store or is this going to be a better on Android and how should I model this because in in this space in and specifically for businesses, a lot of them are already going to be running Linux and there's going to be the differences between Red Hat and Ubuntu for development are becoming less and less, and right. there's going to be people willing to pay because it's business stuff. It's enterprise. Right. Let's, stuff. Let's be clear, right? So I see the front ends of this software being iOS apps, Android apps, web apps. That makes sense. Or at I least one of them. I don't think they go away, but I think they become the kind of junior level, higher designer, plus one or two junior devs on a 1099, commoditized part of the equation. Yeah. I don't think they are the thing that I'm able to go in and bid you know, a, a six-figure contract for. But it might be part of – you can come and say we can build this part of it and as part of the entire package, my team can it's also – Yeah, it's, it's part of the service, but it is not the primary service, right? Um. And, and we're seeing this already. I mean, I, I wish I remember the names of the app, uh, but there's a there's an app out there on the iOS store and the Google Play store where you can ask it like history questions and it's a bot. And all it is is a very thin, like, I think it's actually a React Native interface to some AI uh, Microsoft bot framework functionality huh. on the web. In fact, it, it may be made by Microsoft for all I know. But it, all it does is, you know, it's a very slick, very quick, but very simple iOS app and all the love is happening or all the magic is happening on the server. That is, I think, where we're going. And you know what? As a developer, that makes a lot of sense to me because there's nothing worse than having a bug in a, in a heavy client where you have to go through app review to get it fixed. Especially when there is it's, – it's not just a multi-platform d- world that you have to deliver apps for, but it's on desktops, in web browsers, on yes. tablets, on phones, even possibly on watches potentially on what these people want. And so having the logic on the back-end server where you can add as much networking and compute and storage as you need, it just seems obvious once the connectivity is sufficient enough to deliver the results fast enough, which – we're getting there, and of course, if it's a business, they'll make it work with good Wi-Fi or Ethernet connections or whatever. It, it, it just seems like it's an obvious direction. So having more familiarity on your laptop with it and working with this tool set is probably going to better position you. So how – well, okay. So I have, a couple of, I have a couple of things that you've gotten pushback on that I thought maybe we should bring up. And then sure. I have a question I want to ask, but let's take a moment. Speaking of that back-end infrastructure – and let's, let's mention DigitalOcean. This is a great place to go and use our promo code Coder Digital to try building something on a server that you could use either for yourself to learn more about it or in production or try something out, maybe an open source project that you've seen that you want to deploy and you don't want to bother loading it on your own machine. In fact, even when there'd be something I would normally load up in like a virtual box or VMware or KVM instance, I, I go to DigitalOcean because you can get started in less than 55 seconds. And the pricing plans are great. You can either pay per hour which is just an unbelievably low rate. Or you can get like their $5 a month rig. And if you use our promo code CODERDIGITAL, you get the $10 credit. 
run it for two months for free. And they've got data centers in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Amsterdam, London, Toronto, and Germany. And I think something I don't mention enough, and I love it because they kind of pointed out with their Germany data center, but in a lot of cases, they're extremely, they're, they're always very strategic about where they place these data centers. So that way they're in the center of a lot of connectivity. So if you're, if you're over in Europe and you want great speeds in that general area, they've gone to great lengths to make sure that the data center in Germany will serve you well. I think that's pretty clever. And, you know, when I was distributing files via BitTorrent Sync um, for Unfilter, and now I'll be transitioning to LibreVault, I'm using droplets that are placed strategically in different locations for $5 a month. So that way when folks on the East Coast or someone over across the pond starts to download these huge multi-hundred megabyte files, they're not getting it from some server in San Francisco. It's really gives it. It's like having an entire pro level data center that you can spin up machines on demand. That's all under your control with an amazing interface and incredible pricing, and, and it allows even a, a small shop or a larger shop to have the presence and the horsepower of a multinational Google type enterprise. I mean, it's so great. It's so enabling, and it's it's nothing that was even available at the beginning of this podcast. It's so fascinating to watch DigitalOcean go, and I think they, they really got the formula right. A great interface, a straightforward, really nicely designed API, SSDs for all of the storage, and pricing that makes sense. DigitalOcean.com, just use our promo code, CoderDigital, to support the show, and get a $10 credit, and a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio Program. So two things that came up a lot I saw online from your blog post. The first was uh, one I really liked, but let's, let's address the, fir- the second one because um, I think there's more meat on the first one. But the second mm-hmm. one was, well, how are you going to do iOS development now? <laughs> how are you going to do it now, smart guy? I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, on, jackass. There's yeah, a few Mac, people on, uh, on G+. It, that. Uh, yeah, I saw it. I mean, it, Mac mini server, right? I'm swimming in a lake of Mac minis. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not o- like your old Macs go away, right? Right. They don't like, you know, you don't, you don't buy a System76 machines and the Macs like file for divorce. That's not what happens. So Ryan doesn't show um, up at your house and knock on the door and say, okay, right. you've received uh, your Lemur. Will you please hand over all of your Macs? <laughs> yeah. Like, the Linux Gestapo don't walk in and be like, uh, sir, are you hiding any Macs here? I don't know what accent that was, but it was not German. I think it was uh, Russian-Japanese. It's like some sort of weird World War II combo thing. Oh, sad, yeah. sad times. So, um, okay. Now, here was, the, uh, here was the number one thing I heard people just absolutely decry. And I actually love that you just came out and were honest about it. And you just say – I'm going to just address content consumption. I've got a lot of movies and iTunes, yeah. a lot of music. I've got yeah. books. I've got magazines. So, so I, I like the content ecosystem. And this seems I, like but – but now that you're a Linux user, Mike, whoa, what are you going to do? Yeah, let me backpedal you a little bit. So I've learned a lesson over doing this show and writing blog posts. You should meditate on what nasty shit people are going to say to you on Twitter and answer them preemptively in the blog post. Ah, yeah. So that's the whole section about content consumption is, yes, I am aware that I've spent money on iTunes. And the answer is, again, it is not like, you know, the Gestapo comes in. I do not have to hand over my Apple TV or my iOS. You know what? You know what's going to be on my desk with the lemur? An iPad Pro. Because hmm. I watch YouTube and I watch movies. And Yeah, and the Apple TV works yeah. for you and you can still use that to get the content. Right. And I have like 189 movies or something in Apple TV. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I'm not like – I don't understand, to be honest with you, kind of the feedback I got about, well, you can't, you can't use both. 
Yeah, I get, well, I, people are shocked when they find out that uh, Linux user Chris uh, likes to use an iPhone over Android. Yeah, I'm probably still going to carry an iPhone, to be honest, because the battery life and the GPS are better where I live. The, the, the performance is great, and now with the 7, right. they have optical image stabilization in the camera, which is right. a big deal for me. You know, I just look at it like this. Both platforms are essentially the same thing. And so I look at Google's profit motive and I look at Apple's and I say, all right, gouge me up front for the expensive iPhone and uh, I'll, I'll just pay. I like this arrangement. You make money off the hardware and I use the, I use the software and I pick the back-end services I yeah, want to use. I, I think Apple's actually done a really good job on the content consumption front, to be honest. I mean, I read The New Yorker. I read The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, all on my iPad. Yeah. And you know what? I, I have a Nexus 7, but those apps suck on the Nexus 7. I mean, the Android equivalency is... You almost feel like somebody paid some contractor like a third of what they paid the iOS company to do them. Yeah, it does. I haven't messed with them much because I, I just prefer not to get wrapped up in it at all uh, because I knew if I got invested, I would be in the same position. But I, I, I have played a little bit with like the different news applications, and I do seem to prefer the ones on the Apple side. Uh, I just – you know what? I, I, just find, I just find it to be better, but people are shocked that that's my preference. Um, and I, I find it to be kind of same that people are so shocked that you like to use Apple TV and iOS and iTunes. I, yeah, I, saw, I don't know. It's not my preferred setup, but I'm like, man, I'm glad that works for you. That's nice. I mean, of course, there's an element of lock-in, right? When you have 180-something movies on Apple TV, you're very unlikely to want to change. I mean, it's a lot of money I've spent on Apple TV. Yeah. But I, I guess I don't – maybe you can explain it. I don't really understand why me doing – my work on a Linux machine would somehow stop me from going home and watching Netflix on an Apple TV with my wife. Like right. I, 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 I honestly don't. I get think it. I think the the response is traditionally uh, the, the the traditional Linux user is one who's doing it not just out of workflow, but maybe maybe even more so, or at least in equal part out of moral outrage at the vendor lock-in or yeah, I have the licensing problems. or the proprietary software or the patents. You know, there's there's some moral issue for them too that's brought them over. And so there may be – I don't think yeah. people are as accustomed that there might be people that want to use Linux simply because it's a good system to get work done on and that's it's, the number one reason. Yeah. I mean, you know, one day Satan's going to come for my soul and the poor bastard's going to leave empty-handed because there's not much left. But – yeah, I have no morals, right? Like, I don't care about any of that stuff. In fact, I get annoyed when, like, I install, you know, Arch or Fedora and I can't have MP3 codecs. <laughs> like, I, I'm like, all right, guys, I don't really give a rat's ass. Let them sue me. Like, yeah. <laughs> really? Um, well, okay. So there was, I thought that was, I thought that was an interesting part in your blog. And I thought it was good that you just sort of decided to uh, attack yes, it head on. It. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I think it's uh, I think it's going to be an interesting purchase. I would love I would love it if it showed up before we wrap up the show. I hope so. I hope so. I think that's probably not likely. Seems unlikely. I mean, when they say end of business, they mean like four forty nine fifty nine. Yeah, you know, in that range. You're yeah. not the only guy doing this, though. Uh, there was a blog post um, by I think it's Pator is how you say his name, and he talks about switching from Windows ten to Linux for .NET development. And uh, he's, he kind of had a – he kind of had, I think, an inkling. He doesn't come right out and say it. But uh, he went to sit down at his machine and he realized he'd had enough when he got an error message that came up said that Windows was installing updates and about 20 minutes had gone by and it was still installing updates. Then it rebooted and it installed more updates, which in the end took almost an hour in the middle of his day. He called it the Windows 10 out of nowhere update. 
Yeah. He says it wasn't a total honest, it wasn't a total emotion decision, though. He'd been thinking about it for a while. And he moved over well, to Windows Mint, and uh, the first thing he did was he installed .NET Core Framework. And well, Mint that is, was, is an easy transition, too. I mean, Mint yeah. is even easier than Ubuntu. So. I agree. Yeah, Cinnamon, yeah. Um, he says, but .NET was easy to install. He had maybe like one or two problems, but it was very simple. And then he said he looked into his tools to use. He installed Git and MongoDB and Redis and Slack and Skype. Uh, and then he looked around and looked at Visual Studio Code and looked at Vim and looked at ReSharper and OmniSharp. And uh, he started – I think he ended up with Visual Studio Code on Linux to do his development work. He's got a screenshot, yeah. of, it here, screenshot of it here too. Yeah, he did. Uh, so well, he did Visual Studio Code and OmniSharp. Yeah, I, I think that's a pretty pretty decent setup. I mean, one thing for maybe the students in the audience or more junior junior people is, you know, there is a at least I think when I went to school, there's a misconception that like Mac and Windows are far more similar. That's actually not true, right? Mac is Unix and therefore much closer to Ubuntu or any other flavor of Linux, particularly Ubuntu now though because of the UI. Um, Windows is actually kind of the weird one. Windows is fundamentally different. Yeah. Although you can now get the Ubuntu subsystem, which kind of is interesting and normalizes, yeah. but it's still it's still another piece running on top of another thing. It's not it's not the system. I mean, have we have we heard from people really using that in production though? I mean that that seems super voodoo-y to me. I you know I think it's I think it's being used. I, I mean, it's kind of. I think it's legit, but I don't know anybody who's like, well, now finally I can it's, use Windows. It's a translation layer, right? So they're taking the Windows system calls and they're convert, or rather, they're they're taking the uh, Linux system calls and converting them into Windows yeah, calls, yeah, right? I believe so. Yep. Yeah. Um, okay. He also points out in his blog post here that uh, Docker kind of made a, a big part of his decision. And he says, yeah, of course you can run Docker on Windows, uh, but you have to use Hyper-V or VirtualBox, yep. and I got some errors when I tried to do it. Um, and he says different Docker builds would throw out errors sometimes, some wouldn't. And when he says, when I was looking at it now with microservices and the CQRS patterns, it seems like a good idea to have Docker images and containers right there on his own system. So Docker is another reason why he wanted to use uh, Linux for development. So you may, you may be part of a larger trend, which I've kind of been wondering about for a while, especially as Apple seems to be kind of lukewarm on the Mac platform. Like even well, if they I, update the MacBooks, yeah. do you think they're going to update the Mini? Are they going to ship a new Mini? Where's the new Apple I mean, monitor at? Where, what's going on with the Mac Pro? Yeah. Like they need to well, update well, every monitor. monitor. So, so to be fair, there's been leaks about the Apple monitor, right? There's, it's going to be 5K, which I, I mean, I am not a monitor snob. I'm, I'm more into audio, but I will, I don't, I don't really get why you'd want a monitor that can't display the content you're likely watching online. Um, but all of that aside, or even if you're trying to use like a Retina iOS emulator or a simulator. The you know just being able to do iOS development with, uh, on a quote unquote Retina desktop screen is kind of huge. And think about all the MacBook Pros out there that are probably hooked up to Dell monitors or something else that's a higher resolution. I don't think many people are doing Dev on a MacBook Pro. I think the workhorse is the oh, I'm sorry MacBook Pro. Yes, not Mac Pro. Yeah, I thought yeah. it was Mac Pro. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, I, but I guess here's why I bring it up is not to derail the conversation too much. But the reason why I bring it up is I think I think when developers are looking at building software for the quote-unquote Linux platform, and that's going to be more and more people for the reasons we just outlined a few minutes ago. It's already a lot of people, and it's going to be more. Uh, but we shouldn't be crazy, right? A lot of this is going to tone down once Apple comes out with the new MacBook Pro next week. Well, what's I the mean, point? If you're developing for the cloud, if you're developing for Linux systems, why spend that much on a computer? 
that you're not sure what the update cadence is. Well, that's basically my argument, right? My argument is that the way I predominantly sell systems and make money is no longer tied to Apple-specific stuff. Um, in fact, the Apple stuff is kind of an afterthought. But I, I, I don't know. See, I don't. I guess I don't see where you're going with this because, you know, this MacBook Pro is going to sell out in minutes. There's, there's just no way that's not going to happen. Oh, for sure. I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to proclaim any kind of doom. I think what I'm trying to proclaim is that I think there's probably a, a larger majority of users out there than we realize that are like yourself. They're going through this same thought process. And I think more and more people, I've been saying this for a little while, but I honestly do think it's, I, I keep, I keep seeing little indicators that, that don't mean at the end for any one company, don't mean the, you know, the onslaught of new users for one particular distro. I think, I think there's just going to be less and less people for development reasons that buy a Mac over time. So I, I'm actually going to hit a little harder than you then. Um, if I'm right and some of the other commentators are right that this AI, this bot functionality, this back-end artificial intelligence is going to be the next battleground, then that really isn't good for Apple. Right. That's and exactly it, it. Because of just just the uh, – I hate to say this, but like you know, the corporate culture, right? The cultural – locked in kind of closed you know we'll hold your hand which i like i mean that's why i like apple stuff on the content consumption side because you know what they hold my hand and my movies always work unless itunes is down but they more or less always work everything works it's really not that hard however it's probably not where the innovation is going to be i mean sure there's going to be some designer who comes out with some beautiful you know, iOS app that's really nice. And there's going to be, you know, Omni Group is still around, right? They're going to make awesome iPad apps. Um, Panic is still around. They're going to make great yeah. Mac and great iOS software. And but then there's going to the be lots of people that are creating software for well, the Apple it, ecosystem that will yeah, be buying it, Macs. And But do you, do you know what the problem with all that is? Panic and Omni Group exist. And it's really, really hard to try to break into that. Yeah. And, you know, for anybody new or anybody who's kind of like – a consultant who doesn't, who has products, but they're not huge, right? They're just you know little products here and there that basically service portfolio pieces. I would probably challenge you and say, "All right, well, are you getting a two million dollar bank loan?" You know, hmm. yeah, here's you a able- challenge, Mike. Yeah, I would ask, can anyone in the audience find a Mac and iOS development company that has launched in the last say two years? That's selling an app at a premium price, say more than $30. Can you find it? So an, a, an iOS or macOS development company yeah. that is selling an app. So how are we defining selling? Through like the Mac App Store or on their websites. So straight up, you buy the app. Yep. What year was Sketch launched? I don't know. They're 100 bucks, and they're extremely successful. So this is the – there are certain categories, right? This is where I was going to go. It's like professional audio and video. Yeah, you bet. There's a, I can think of a couple right. uh, for sure. And uh, in development tools and things like that, yep, absolutely. Paint code. Paint code is within two years. Yep. I almost get But what's that? What kind, of, what kind of application is that? Well, it's a developer tool. I yep. use it, right? It mm-hmm. generates uh, – instead of using PNGs, it will generate me uh, Bezier curve-based Swift and Objective-C code. It, that is a that my point is is that's such a small pond to uh, oh, to, yeah. to to be to be a success in that uh, and then you compare that to the size of server side code running on Linux and the prices you can charge there because you can charge so much more you can charge so much more there like factors of five more I mean what I mean so much more there that you can uh, sell at a lower volume 
even. You also, I mean, I don't want to get it back into the dash thing, but if your primary value is on the server side, you don't have this, uh, uh, you know, existential risk, right, of a gatekeeper deciding that they hate you for whatever reason, which, you know, not only is it a gatekeeper issue and all of that, but let's 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 go back to the examples we just talked about and the ones in the chat room, just all of these professional or creative professional applications are the type of application that requires the investment of an entire company, a multi-staff production. It's not, they're, they're big. When you go big, you really have to have a solid group of people and company behind that to sustain an application like that for professional use. Whereas I think the other type of server-side development, that can absolutely be the case at times, but there's probably a lot more opportunities to get in with a smaller team and scale as needed and still sell at a higher margin. Like, like the panic people are an entire company. That's an, like with with many employees. It's you, well, it, Omni is huge, right? I mean, it, yeah. the Omni Group is another fine example. The Omni Group is another fine example of a large yeah. company to support this. And I'm I'm thinking of some of the professional audio tools we've we've bought in the past. Although, see, I think you're underselling the amount of work these AI systems maybe so, or, maybe or bots so. Are. I mean, think about this. I you know you have to hire copywriters, right? These bots have to have a personality. Here's I mean, where I, a whole, yeah, yeah. I, I can see that, but that all seems like. How do you, okay? So you have to have your entire. You, pre, you pretty much have to have an entire team ready to go the day your professional application launches for professional developers and and and, and production and creative professionals. How do you mean? How you you have to launch the application with a sort of set and features, a certain set of features and functionality right. that justify a high price tag that and that that is good, that is well enough designed and is functional enough that it somehow gets to that upper echelon. In so you're saying there's been so much downward pressure on prices that to command that thirty plus dollar price tag that you've set your bar at requires such a heavy investment that no small shop could really do it. That's exactly what I'm saying. Unless okay. you're major, unless you have major VC backing or something. I actually completely agree with that. And because, I think with the bot what, stuff, it's very expensive, try. but that yeah. cost scales as so you can start small. The core, the core engine, and all of that. You could be you could be a one man person, and then as you add functionality, I don't know. It, it feels like that's more scalable to me. Well, I, I don't think it's more scalable. I think it's newer and standards are lower, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the Apple guys like to talk about there's this Apple iOS treadmill and macOS treadmill, where every year the standard for a quote unquote good iOS app gets higher and higher and higher. And that's actually true, right? It, it's just obviously true to me. Um, but that's not good for independent developers because it just costs you more money. Mm. So I look at this as though I were, you know, my own client. You know, I'm the consultant for my client. Hey, man, if you're charging three bucks a license, you basically can't compete. So don't do it, right? So do something else or make your money somewhere else. Mm. And. What I think, and this is where I think you and I are going to diverge a little bit, is I think the only reason this bot slash AI market is going to be more forgiving is that it's like App Store circa 2008. It's it's brand new. Okay. And, and it's novel, and people's standards are just far lower. And, and it's still maturing. Yeah, so that doesn't right. have to be the same. Little, you, can, hmm. you can get away with a lot of bugginess and a lot of rough corners that, you know what, you just can't if you want to get featured, if you want. And, well, you know, let's anything. be honest. It's much more yeah. practical to iterate the features and improve the the application on the server side than it is. Well, there is that, right? I could do daily deployments. Yeah, right. That's that's again, that's an issue with the app store. Like, and I don't want to get into a conversation about you know is the gatekeeper a net positive or good? Because you know what, the gatekeeper or negative? Because the gatekeepers existed since two thousand eight, 
and it's 2016. It's not going anywhere. Yeah. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> I mean, fighting that battle is like, you know what, Chris? Let, let's have our last stand at the Alamo. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Energy is better spent elsewhere. Right. I agree. Um, well, okay. So I have um, I have a couple more things for us to chat about, including <laughs> including a little, little real talk about designing good APIs. Uh, but, you know, we've been talking a lot about server-side development and creating software on Linux. I want to take a moment and thank our sponsor, Linux Academy. This is a great tie-in if anything in this space interests you. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders is where you go, and you can sign up for a free seven-day trial now. That's new, and that's amazing. They have all kinds of great content for you in many of the subjects on Linux that the really deep stuff and all of the applications and cool technologies built on top of it that not only are interesting to learn, but will make you some money, including things like AWS and OpenStack and even Azure. They have step-by-step video courses with comprehensive study guides that you can download and take with you offline. Courseware comes with its own server and spins it up as you need it. There's seven-plus distros you choose from, and the courseware and the servers automatically adjust to match that. You keep track of your progress as you go along. They have tracks that are specific for like certs if you want to do that or people that have really limited time. They have availability planners and quick dives that get you in there, little quick takes that are like, yeah, you know, a couple of quick courses that uh, give you information or nuggets or like little bits of wisdom about a unique thing or challenge. And if you're commuting, you have a little downtime, maybe you're on the bus. They have iOS and Android apps. They have note cards that the community forks and makes even better. Labs that give you hands-on scenario-based training. And, of course, instructor mentoring is available when you need it. And now with public profiles, you can help show your employer or potential client the kind of good work you've been doing. And with a seven-day free trial, you can jump in and start trying out some of the courseware and see how it goes. So check them out at linuxacademy.com slash coders. And a big thanks to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. So I, I found, I think, I think I found this. I think I found this in the subreddit. It's how to design APIs that don't suck. And I just – there's a couple of points I thought I'd, I'd rattle off. Uh, be explicit. Be clear. Uh, this is perhaps the most important tip. If you have a method called get user and it causes some side effect without being explicit about it, that can lead to a lot of problems. OK. That's a good one. Keep your surface areas for your APIs small. No one likes bloated programs. I think that's obvious but good. Reduce bo- boilerplate. There's less than then there's less for the consumer to have to do. The lesser the possible number of bugs you end up dealing with. Reduce dependencies. Try to keep your code as self-contained as possible. The more dependencies you have, the more potential problems it can cause downstream in consumer code. And please, for the love of God, return meaningful error states. I like that one. <laughs> Undefined is not a function. There's apparently a, a, a Xena Warrior Princess meme. Yeah, I didn't have, never seen before. And save exceptions for truly exceptional cases. I like that one too. And then document all of the things. Documentation is boring. And like all, or like many boring things at least, it is essential. And good documentation can save your sanity. And then uh, write tests. Tests are proof of correctness and documentation in the sample code. Write tests, which nobody likes to do. And of course, make it testable. And there's more in there, which uh, I will uh, link you in the show notes, including one that I thought was kind of interesting, which you can read about is don't allow too much user choice. <laughs> That's uh, that is uh, Anoop. I think is how you say his name. That's how he designs APIs that don't suck. I felt like a little good advice right there. A little real yeah, talk. I mean, you know, I will say though, a lot of that stuff is things. People Basics? who have the well, no, no, no. I would I would actually hit that a lot harder. Uh, that's great if you have a salary, and you're not on a fixed bid, and you're not 
Yeah, you know, oh yeah, yeah. It's, there's a little high and pressure, mighty in huh? right? There, there's a little bit of like I, I will say when I read stuff like that, I like to look up. All right, so what do you do for a living? Oh, you have a W two when you work at Facebook. Okay, like yeah, I got to tell you right now, like unit tests are the first things that go in the toilet, mm-hmm. right? Oh yeah, um, documentation right in the toilet because you know what, you get paid your eight thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars regardless of that, and you don't get paid any more for that. Yeah, a, uh, I mean, there's th- th- usually if there's an yeah. incentive for you to document it, you might do it. Well, if it's going to be your project for two years, I mean, there there is a. By the way, he works at Google. Of course, right? Of course, he works at Google. I mean, when I how do, how can I say this nicely, Chris? The, there are I almost feel like multiple classes of developers here, right? And contractors, unless you're working for like Booz Allen, although they're having all kinds of problems. I oh. Mean, yeah. You know what? Maybe we'll just say Northrop Grumman because Booz Allen's got issues. <laughs> um, you know, you have lots of luxuries that those of us in the CD dirty contracting world don't, right? You have the ability to be like, you know what? If it takes me another three days, I'll still be paid for that. Contractors sometimes won't. And scope creep's a thing that exists. And scope creep's bad. I'm not saying scope creep at a you know, W2, sort of you're the software architect, isn't destructive to the product. But a lot of times for contractors, scope creep means unfunded labor. Yeah. Which is really, really bad in a lot of significant ways. Yeah. That I don't, I don't, you know, I, I, I sometimes don't think these guys from Google or Facebook or even Microsoft get it. And they say, well, you should just be doing a better job. But the problem with no, they that say is, try harder just try harder oh, no 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 they, they say well don't take those kind of projects but you have to like hit a number right you have to eat i mean there there's there's a certain level of i guess you know i we you know i interview people all the time because we have like rolling interviews and one of the questions every single rails developer has to do unit testing and i said it depends on the project because you know what it, it depends if the project's hourly sure if it's not no i mean that's kind of the way it goes because unless you're being paid for – one, I don't think fixed bid projects make sense for anybody. They're bad for the vendor. They're bad for the client. And they set you up in an adversarial relationship that you know, the minimum bad thing that's going to happen is that the code's not documented and it's going to take forever to do the project. The, or, and you're not going to have any tests. The best you – know, the, the worst thing that's going to happen is the project's never going to ship. Because the client will not know exactly what they bought. The vendor will have a very, very, very specific idea on what they sold. And it will be much smaller than what the client thought he bought. And there's no real happy medium there. Which that's a whole another show episode, right? About yeah. like why fixed bids are – you basically – I you know, I, I spend a lot of time agonizing about how can you make them work. And the answer is you just can't sell them. And if somebody insists on a fixed bit, you you basically have to turn down the job. Here's how I look at that blog post, and we'll have a link in the show notes if you guys want to read all of them. It's uh, they seem basic and great, great ones to follow. And I would say probably all of them are followable to an extent. And then like you get into the practical real world situation, the practical side of development that you're talking about right now, and some of those boxes get unchecked. I don't think any of them are necessarily wrong on their face, but what they do represent to me a little bit after listening to you is a little se- – they seem like a, there's a little sense of try harder. If you're not doing this, you need to be trying it harder. You're doing it wrong. And I guess I, I, I the thing I take issue is yes, that's, that is technically possible for you to do these things, but also – 
we are this far into this son of a gun and we're still talking about this. It's obvious that we need a better way. I, to me, it seems – Well, this, but this is a natural part of the – Yes. You know – And there's I, different uh, levels of jobs where these things are more – like people right. are absolutely – like documentation is absolutely worth paying for. I have had clients on the technical side who have said, OK, I absolutely will pay you for documentation time. This is very valuable to us and others where you're right. It absolutely has gone by the wayside. Well, and, and, and like if get users creates a side effect, that's obviously bad. I'm not advocating that. But, you know, I yeah. will say I, I love to use the car analogy with people because it's something that, you know, the types of business guys that I end up dealing with understand. It's like, you know what? I can sell you a Chevy, a Kia, and a Cadillac. Actually, it's a Kia, a Chevy, and a Cadillac, right? But understand that if you buy the Kia, it's, you know, you're, you're not going to be happy. And if you buy the Chevy, you'll you'll be okay. And I know you won't buy the Cadillac. That's, you get what you pay for, right? I mean, oh. I, I, you know, there, there is a time, and you know this probably from uh, IT consulting, there's a time-honored tradition of vendors beating the shit out of the previous vendor. Yes, right? yeah. In fact, I recently had a situation like this where a new vendor comes in and, and, and his entire mission in life is to say everything we did sucked. I'm like, yep. okay, that's great. Well, you can either work with us or it's not. It's a blank right? check usually for a few months. It's a blank check because then you can say, oh, we're refactoring. And I have heard of cases where clients have gone with another vendor. The vendor said they were refactoring. They fired the vendor. We got the code back. They literally did nothing. Like literally nothing. Yeah, Why? I've, because it's it's, it's I've been highway on, robbery. I've been on both ends right. of it. And, uh, you know, something yeah. I, I stopped doing towards the end. But, man, I tell you what, Mike, it is brutal. It's a brutal process because it allows you to justify a lot of big decisions that you can make. And it's, it's, te- it's too tempting not to use it as leverage to take action on things you know long term are better for the project. It's very tempting. Well, it's sort of like how yeah, politicians I mean, take advantage of a disaster to pass new laws. Right. Let's, you know, let's refactor this old ass PHP code base to Rails, right? Like, I can't say I've never done it, but I can say that there is there is a level of, I guess, practice what you preach that I just don't mm. think happens. Like, yeah. I never preach unit testing because, you know what, I don't really practice it unless the client is willing to pay for it. Yeah. Um, and, and I yeah. said, I'm sure Google's it. willing to because that guy works in Android development. I bet I bet Google is willing to pay for that. Google's going to buy you sushi for lunch every day, right? Google, that is a different sort of ball game, and that's kind of the point I'm getting at. You are effectively in a different business. Um, you know, contractors are facing pressures, uh, particularly now with this new wave of what I would call productization of development services. Where you have all these very shady piranha style companies saying, oh, we'll sell you our system. It's not really a system. They're just subcontracting it to some little shop who is going to fight with them about scope for a year. But, you know, they're calling it a system. Yeah. And they're trying to sell it to you at a flat price. That is is just I mean, this is a whole big topic for another day about the productization of development services. And what I would actually call, you know, productization, I think, is a is a euphemism. It's like making love. Um, it's really commoditization or basically fucking over little development shops <laughs> in the most brutal way. That could be an entire topic for a future episode. You know, Mr. Dominic, that was touching. It was touching. Do you deeply. want? Uh, do you want to give people a chance to uh, maybe send you tips about your new rig or uh, yeah. things uh, at Dominic on Twitter? And I would say once I get it, I might do some unboxing pictures on Twitter Ooh, and cool. at Dominic.com. And I hope we can hear a little more about it next week and hear about how the setup has gone and all of that. And, of course, 
just full disclosure, nothing we talked about today was sponsored by any companies other than the ones we're clear sponsors. System 76 is not a sponsor on this show. Well, actually, actually, uh, Dick Cheney's company sponsors every show, Halliburton. Yeah, but we do that through the shadow companies that uh, we have set up through a a bunch of different shell corporations that all donate as patrons. So we don't have to tell them about that. Yeah, it's it's nice. Oh, wait, are we still recording? Oh, jeez. Gonna have to edit that out. Gonna have to edit that out. Um, all right, so Mr. Dominic, you know what? I, wait a minute. Hold on. Where'd our music go? Well, I guess I we have to. I guess we have to do another fifteen minutes of show because our music just stopped. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, so uh, why would we talk about politics? Oh, oh, oh no. Oh, hey, there it goes again. There we go again. Oh yeah, that was my long track. That's right. We have a long track. Music and oh, sorry. We have a we have a long and a short version of our outro. All right. Well, then I better say the last few things before this thing wraps up because this is the short version. Uh, go over to uh, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact to send us your emails. There's a drop down there for Coda Radio. Join us live next week. We do it on Mondays over at jblive.tv. Get it converted at your local time at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Your feedback, links, and all kinds of other good stuff are absolutely appreciated over at coderadio.reddit.com. And that's also a good spot to find a thread for every single episode of the Coder Radio program. Okay, everyone, thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Coder Radio. And we'll see you right back here next Monday. Mm-hmm.